the exciting, dangerous world of James Bond has arrived in Los Angeles. The Peterson Automotive Museum invites you to experience the cinematic legacy of over 30 iconic vehicles of James Bond in the new exhibit, Bond in Motion. This new Bond exhibition features the largest official collection of 007 vehicles in the United States, including the 1977 Lotus Esprit S1 Submarine and No Time to Die Aston Martin DB5. Plan your visit today at peterson.org backslash bond. That's P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N dot org backslash bond. Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 619. All right, here we are once again on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast presents Ranking the Bonds. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I am joined as always by my co-host, Alan J. Porter. Welcome back aboard, Alan. Thank you, Van. Good to be chatting Bond again. Yeah, I'm so glad that we came up with another excuse to go through the entire series. <laughs> As if we needed one, but yes, that's good. It's <laughs> true, yeah. Well, I, I feel like it's legitimate. I feel like it's not just us going, let's do the exact same thing again and see if we come up with slightly different answers. This way we have different things to try to find, right? So that's a little... It is, and it's interesting. I don't know about you, but having now the third one, I've noticed that when I rewatch the movies for this, I'm keeping the categories in my mind now, and it's like, oh, I need to remember this and I need to remember that I'm looking I'm looking at the movie in a slightly different way which is pretty cool yeah well absolutely me too I agree it's it's like um it's making us conscious of things that we were not like I was noticing that like in the past I would be like focused more on the plot or on the dialogue whereas now I'm looking all around you know what I mean I'm like I feel like I'm more and, and it, it helps that this isn't the first few times at least for me, that I've watched them because I already know those parts and so I can kind of step back a step and take in the big picture a little bit more, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that just makes sense, yeah. Um, and so conversely, also sort of diving into some of the details, as you said, watching the background stuff and mm -hmm. picking stuff up that maybe would have just slipped by before because we were focused on the plot, so yeah. Yeah, stuff you take for granted that you stop yeah. and go, wait, why did that happen? And I, in, in regards to that, I have added us a new category, but I think it's a good one. It's, it, I texted you. I said, it's, don't panic. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not one that requires you to redo the spreadsheet again. That was the funniest thing. Not funny to you, I know, but funny to me. Um, hopefully to our listeners entertaining. And that is that we, uh, I thought about unanswered questions, like things that come up in the movies that we never really are sure exactly why. And I think every Bond movie, certainly the older ones, have plenty of those. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Well, even some of the mud ones they have <laughs> the whole movie is so Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I think the uh, I think I think that's a nice idea and I think it, it should provoke some good uh, good discussion points. So but even though you sprung it on me while I was having breakfast in my local <laughs> diner this morning, I haven't really given it much thought as far as golfing is concerned. So we'll see what you come up with. Yeah. That was not very fair of me, but it just occurred to me as I was watching it this morning. I watched about first half last night. But I was getting sleepy, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to start missing things, so I'll catch it in the, in the morning when I wake up, and I did. So it's very fresh on my mind, and I was frantically typing on in, on my phone. It's funny the way I do it. I watch the movie on my iPad, 
and I have my Google Docs open on my phone, and so I'm, it's like I'm texting myself in Google Docs my notes <laughs> while I'm watching on the iPad. You're considering I have, yeah, considering I have, you know, a couple of decent televisions, I don't know why, but I just do everything on my little devices for some reason. I don't know, because I walk from room to room and I'm doing laundry and stuff. But anyway, nobody cares about that. Um, for those that don't know or just coming in now, what, what Alan and I are doing in this new series is we are looking at the, at the Bond films and we are, we have a set of categories, some of which have numerical rankings from one to 10, some of which are just stuff. They're not numbered, right? And so you're keeping track of those numbers. And at some point in the future, you're going to tell us how the movies are stacking up against each other, correct? Correct. And also we're doing, as you said, at the end of each episode, we'll sort of give it a an emotional score, what we think it was out of 10, just based on our feelings. And then we'll see how that actually ranks against the actual math of all the individual categories that we scored as we go through the episode, if that yes, makes indeed. sense. Yes, and that's very good. I, I like that a lot. Um, and I think that it's um, going to be interesting at the end to see which movies rank higher, even if we internally think of them lower and vice versa. Yeah. Because yeah. it's going to happen. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. In fact, as we're about to get into it now, I'll tell you, I was noticing that happening with Goldfinger because with Goldfinger, I gave remarkably high scores to our categories, but I don't love this movie like so many people do. And I think it's because the things I, the things that disappoint me about this movie are not necessarily things we are ranking. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So it scores high where we're scoring... But there's no way to score the things that I would put it low. Right. That would that would pull it down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let us get rolling here. Uh, the first thing we have to do is that Michael Beggar gave us a great suggestion to say tell a few things that are going on in the world around the time the movie came out. And I had to double check because I always think of you know this movie is 1964, but. You know, especially even recently, but especially back then, they tended to open at very different times in the U.S. and Britain and other places. And indeed, um, I found one one listing that said this movie opened in the U.S. in January of 65, which I don't think is true unless it went wider, because it opened in September of 64 in the U.K., and I had December of 64 in the U.S., so it may have been like a staggered opening or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think if I remember rightly without looking it up, but I think in the early ones, they would open like in L.A. and New York to yeah. start with. I know, I know the first ones, like Dr. No and stuff, they, that was just like selected drive-in theaters. Hmm. Um, but by the time they got to Goldfinger, I think, yeah, I think it was like they did big events in New York and L.A. And then, like you say, maybe a month later, it went sort of on general release. Well, as somebody who grew up in Sylacauga, Alabama, in the middle of nowhere in rural the rural South, I can tell you right now that if it opened in the U.S. in December of 64, Sylacauga probably got it in June of 65, if then. <laughs> I didn't get to see Star Wars until, like, December of 77. You know, November, December. So, if, if then. So, and I never have figured out why we didn't just go somewhere else to see it. But back then it was just different. You know, the world was different. You didn't drive 50 miles to go see a movie. You just didn't do it. So, but anyway, all right. So, here's some of the things that were going on. And one of the first things that I found, and it should have dawned on me as a, as a political science guy, was the Lyndon Johnson versus Barry Goldwater election was going on in November and all the lead up to that. 
and I was reading that the Democrats supporting Johnson were making parody songs about gold water. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> really? okay. I've got to find those now. They've got to be on YouTube somewhere, right? There's oh, got to be. must be, yeah. I've really got to find the the gold water, gold finger thing. Yeah, that that's really, really good. Um, it Because it, it, it hadn't come out yet in the U.S., but it was out in Britain two months before the election and so people probably knew about it and were and were talking about it oh, i wonder if the song was out in the u.s before the movie came out that maybe the song was in charts it would have to be because the election was in november so yeah. well what i want to know is was barry goldwater in ian fleming's mind back when he wrote the book he was a u.s senator for a long time and very prominent and very like you know he was like the most conservative no, he, he right-wing he did actually get the, get the name Goldfinger from a, an actual guy called Goldfinger, and he was okay. he was not happy about it. Um, okay, <laughs> and threatened to sue. So, well, it is yeah. kind of a coincidence then, because <laughs> Goldwater was seen as kind of like the most right wing of the U.S. senators, and there was a big right. civil war in the Republican Party between the more moderate side with Nelson Rockefeller and the more conservative side with uh, with Goldwater. So that would have been a kind of an interesting, you know, parody uh-huh. there. In a yeah. way, so. All right. Um, in December of that year, as the movie was coming out in the U.S., Mariner 4 was launched to Mars after Mariner 3 failed to launch. And I thought, well, that takes us back to Dr. No. So that's kind of neat, right? The yeah. U.S. Yeah. space launches. That's cool. Um, France tested an atomic bomb in Algeria. So there's an atomic bomb reference tying into to Goldfinger. Right. Um, the U.S. escalated bombing of North Vietnam. So there was the U.S. Army and the Air Force, like we see in the movie. Uh, this is totally unrelated, unless you want to compare Goldfinger to Red Nose. The, the Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer stop-motion animated thing first aired in December of 64. And that thing is still on the air today. That's a very American reference. We didn't get that. So. You, have you ever seen it? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, yeah, I mean, having lived in the states for 25 years, I could not right. <laughs> not see it. But yeah, it's yeah. it's a beloved cl- it's a beloved holiday classic. And you know, I yeah. grew up seeing it every year, and it scared me to death with the snow, the abominable snowman, and everything <laughs> in it. But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. Martin Luther King won the Nobel Prize around the time this movie was coming out. That's pretty cool. Cool. The Air Force F-111 supersonic fighter made its first flight. There we got some Air Force and, and aviation stuff. Uh, that I actually worked at the location in the UK where the UK-based F-111s were serviced. So I'm very familiar with the F-111. All right. Very nice. Yeah. Is that the one that was like long and sharp and pointed like uh, a was, dart? Uh, it was side-by-side side bomber with swing wings. It's called the Aardvark, I think. Dar- the, yes. Okay. Yeah. The NATO code name for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Farrington Daniels uh, published a book advocating for solar energy, which made me think of the man with the golden gun. Yeah. There you go. And finally, here are the people born in late 1964. I have five of note, three of which are very relevant. Keanu Reeves and Russell Crowe. Okay, so Keanu Reeves and Russell Crowe were born about the time Goldfinger came out. That's that's pretty cool action stars, right? But get this. Chris Cornell who did the Casino Royale theme, was born right then. And right. Monica Bellucci and Terry Hatcher, two Bond girls. Yeah, wow. Born right there as Goldfinger was coming out. So I thought that was pretty darn cool. I wonder if I'll find anything as relevant or cool as this for any of the other movies, because that's a pretty darn good list, I thought. It is, it is. I, I, I think the thing about the nuclear weapons is interesting, because there is the, sort of that period of time where 
there was sort of just the assumption that everybody had nuclear weapons and it was easy to get one. If you knew the right guy in a foreign government, you could get an atomic bomb. Um, so, yeah, uh, and all the atomic tests that were going on uh, sort of informing that. So, yeah, it is interesting that as we go through and we do this, like we were ju just talking about it before we went on air, but, you know, most of the Bond movies pull from something that's in the cultural zeitgeist at that, at that point as mm -hmm. they're either being written or developed. So it'll be interesting as we go forward to see if, how those line up, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a pretty good list, I thought. So, yeah. All right, here we go with our rankings, and our first category is plot slash story. What do you think? Um, well, like I say, I usually do this on two levels. One is how close is it to the Fleming story, and then is it plausible? Um, so in terms of Fleming, it's pretty close to the Fleming book, except Fleming has Goldfinger trying to rob Fort Knox. Hmm. Um, which actually, when you think about it, is just a, as impractical or actually more impractical than actually That's trying to uh, irradiate it. A point that Connery actually makes in the movie by doing the math. Yeah. That it was, yeah. Um, so the, 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 the actual plot of the book is, like, is, is implausible, but hmm. the, 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 um, the movie really follows it relatively closely up until sort of um, the Operation Grand Slam briefing, and there it, it diverts quite a bit. Um, and the other thing I don't really like about this movie um, is Bond is a bit of an idiot, really. Um, he makes mistakes that get people killed. Um, oh, I have a lot to say about that, yeah. And he, his, the other two, he's ahead. Like, in Doctor No, you feel he's ahead of the plot. In mm -hmm. From Russia with Love, it's sort of happening around him, but he manages to overcome the things. In here, he basically is just pretty much led by the nose, mm -hmm. and he's not even the one who saves the, guy, the day. It's some anonymous tech guy that you've never met before that walks in in the last 10 seconds of the movie yep. and turns the machine off. Um, so, you know, and Bond was about to pull the wrong wire. So, you know, yep. um, he, he does not come out of this particularly well as a hero. Um, no. So that plus the fact when we get into the plausibility of it, is it plausible? No. Um, if actually Goldfinger, you may know about um numbers and finance but he knows nothing about chemistry because of, uh, if you radiate gold it basically turns into liquid mercury um so he would not have been um i didn't know that he would not have been irradiating the gold reserves he would have basically destroyed it within sort of seconds of that atomic bomb going off so but man would we have had the market cornered on thermometers thermometers <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah um overall um i think it's it it's sort of a five for me, I think. Mm. Uh, um, and the five is mainly because the first half pretty much follows the Fleming. Even though the Fleming plot is implausible, it, it does Fleming does follow Fleming closely. You can sort of recognize the Fleming story within it. So, um, yeah, it gets a five from me. Okay. Well, you read off my notes basically telepathically because I've at either here or at the end when we talk about it, I'm, that's pretty much what I was going to say is that is that he is very much carried along by the events of this movie rather than causing them or doing stuff about him so much. And he kind of, he depends on other people to do stuff all the way through, really. I mean, and even to the point of he's trying to get a message to Felix to do something because he's trapped in the bad guy's headquarters, you know. So all along, he's depending on other people, like all the way up to the, to the bomb going off. And then he has to depend on, on Pussy to change sides. You know, if he yeah. hadn't if he hadn't been able to put the sexual whammer jammer on her in the in the barn, it would have been all over. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So, but well, go ahead. You got a point. No, no, I didn't. No. Okay. The, 
All that aside, though, I gave this one a seven just because while I agree with everything you said, I still feel like it produces a pretty fun movie, a pretty entertaining. It's not in my top five. I'm not sure if it's in my top ten, but it's it's still a you know you I guess there are enough other factors going on in it to kind of give it a couple extra points for me. I would actually agree with that. It is an entertaining movie. It's one I can rewatch over and over again, except for the scene that you barn scene that you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, I can quite happily sit down and watch it if it comes on. It's it's one I relax and enjoy. Um, it it is the plot and rolls uh, rolls. Well, that's the wrong word I'm looking for. What is it? The plot moves very well. One of the things I do like about it, I think we talked about it when we watched this the first time around, is that you never get the same set twice. It's sort of mm. everything moves smoothly from one scene, one setup to the other. Um, so it sort of has a very natural flow to it, which I like. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm like you, it's a top 10 movie for me. Um, mm. One I'll happily rewatch, but the more I sat and thought about the plot, the, the more sort of the points kept coming off. But as an overall experience, yes, it's a movie I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, so that's why I give it a seven. All right, here are some unanswered questions, and I'll throw them at you and see what you think about them. Now, one of them we've talked about extensively before, but I have to include it, and that is, why does Goldfinger brief the mobsters and then kill them? And Bond does later say that Delta-9 gas is not a sleep gas, it is deadly. So he knew he was killing them. So why did he do all that other than, and I thought this was really interesting and really cool, when Bond says, I enjoyed your presentation, Goldfinger says, so did I. So was it all just his vanity? Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> what I took about it. Is, is He just likes to brag. I mean, he yeah. it's all about vanity. Um, I mean, one, he needed to kill off all those loose ends anyway. So getting them all in the room together and mm. killing them off makes sense because that way he's eliminating any loose ends of anybody who can talk about it. But why did he need the elaborate briefing with uh, the room and the spinning things and the model and stuff? Didn't need to do that other than Ken Adams designed it and it looked cool and we're going to put that, it in the movie. <laughs> the, it's, it, um, is, it is absolutely a fantastic Ken Adams set design. I love it. It's so right. great. But but you, again, yeah, I think I've got it in one of my lo- notes. Um I think on the villains bit, that is my favorite Goldfinger line when he does, he did, uh, so did I and smiles. So I think that just encapsulates Goldfinger. Um, <laughs> it really it's, it's does. Awesome line. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, I have another one. This one I was really thinking about a lot this time through. Um, so Jill Masterson is dead, covered in gold paint, dies from the paint. Okay. Why didn't Odd Job just kill her and then paint her gold? He had to have, the only way it makes sense is that he knocked her out unconscious, but still alive, then covered her in gold, and then she died of being covered in gold paint after being knocked unconscious. Because otherwise, if she'd been awake when he covered her in gold, she would have struggled and there would have been gold paint all over the place. And if she had been dead, then the paint wouldn't have killed her. So the only thing that makes sense to me is that he knocked her out and then covered her in gold and then she died, which seems too complicated for what well the other thing is if somebody like Objob gave her a knock on the back of the neck with his hand or something he would have killed her anyway wouldn't he I mean well he knocked Bond out that way but he woke back up so well yeah so um, yeah I mean the logic of the movie yes he had to have knocked her out and then painted her but I mean that's it doesn't work like that that that's a a myth the right right 
as, asphyxiation through the pain. Yeah, we talked um, about that before, that it doesn't actually yeah, happen. But yeah. that's what we're told in the movie, and so movie, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to fit the movie And I logic. think it's in the book, too, because there's a, I'm trying to remember back now, because there's a whole thing in the book that basically Oddjob goes out and procures prostitutes for Goldfinger, who he then paints gold um, so he can have sex with them. With the, so he can have sex with gold. Well, That's gold. So he can finger. have sex with gold, but they leave the thing at the back, at the small of the back, for the for the the skin to breathe. Um, and then with Jill Masterson, and Bond doesn't find her. He's just told later on that she was found painted gold all over and died from skin um. asphyxiation. So, um, so I think it was partly how do we get it into the movie, but. Yeah, the logic of the movie has to be that he knocked her out and then painted her with, with yeah. gold. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was that was because I, I kept thinking if she was awake and he went in there, it, stuff's going to be torn up. There's going to be a struggle, right. and she's just lying there yeah. on the bed like nothing happened. So, talking about the gold though reminded me of something I was going to mention previously, and I forgot, which I was going to mention real quick, which is that you know when you said that Bond does the math on the gold and realizes it would be very difficult to move it. That was a problem I ran into with Miami Heist, the novel I wrote two years ago that you and I are going to collaborate on the third yeah. book. And I just got to say real quick, when people were pointing out to me how much the gold would weigh and how this, that, and the other, that directly impacted how I wrote that story as well, that they're not going to be able to get that much of it. And they, in fact, had to build right. a special boat just to hold it all up and keep it, from, keep it from sinking. So I like that they had to take into account the real-world logistical physics of trying to steal something that is massive. That's, you know, that's heavy. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I like the original Italian job. Well, even the, the, the remake of the Italian job is they actually address that, that if they're trying to move, they need so many vehicles and how much can they put in each vehicle and how mm-hmm. much does it weigh? Mm-hmm. And the fact that when they're moving it, you know, nothing annoys me more when you see somebody pick up a, a gold bar and it's like it's two ounces, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in a movie and they're swinging it around and it's like, yeah, it's not going to. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've heard, you know, the way that Ken Adams has that set up, you could never do that because it's the gold is piled so high it would basically crush through the floor. Uh, it looks cool, but it's not practical. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's good. Uh, let's see a couple other questions. Um, we talked about the painting gold. Um, apparently, a lot of story happens off camera just after the roll in the hay because when that scene happens. Pussy Galore is still on Goldfinger's side and doesn't know mm-hmm. c- certain things, and Felix is still totally clueless. And then immediately after that scene, we get to the big finish, and Pussy has changed sides, and Felix knows about what's going on. And we find out that she actually called Washington, quote-unquote, and, and told them. So <clears throat> there's a lot of very important stuff that happens off-camera, in that scene, and there's one more unanswered question. I'm going to throw the whole thing to you. There's one more unanswered question there. Did her co-pilots, did the other pilots in the Flying Circus, did they know that they were... How much did they know, and did they change sides, too, or did she trick them all, too? The last one, and that's a good question. I don't, that's a, I don't think that's ever answered. Um, yeah. But, yeah, she. so, you know, make, you know, they do the roll in the hay or whatever, and then I assume Bond tells her that... Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, it's nerve gas. It's fatal. They're going to kill not just, you know, the soldiers, but everybody around the town of Fort Knox. But they, and then there's the other thing is, okay, she she then reaches out to Felix, but then they have to brief and train all the people all at the camp and in the town to fall over and crash their cars and roll, you know, that as when the planes these, fly over. Yeah, as planes fly over, you've got to fall over. Um, and as you can clearly tell in some of the scenes, some of the actual soldiers were a bit slow on that. Um, 
but also that the townspeople and all the people around, um, and then to lie still until an atomic bomb rolls into town, and then we'll start moving. Um, so there's and, whole- and and hopefully we'll stop it from going off. But you know, just in case, you might want to put your affairs in order. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the, how long did it take to actually train all those people to act on cue like that? And it's like I say, if it was just a, you know a couple of platoons of soldiers, fair enough. But a whole army base and the surrounding town. It's like, yeah, there, there must have been like weeks <laughs> between those two things. It does. I'm sure there was not meant to be. It looks cool, though. I mean, I'm glad they did it the way they did. It's one of those movie things where you just have to kind of go with it. But when you think yeah, about it, it is, you're yeah. like, well, how did they? Yeah, when you think about the logistics of it, it's like, yeah, that, that would have taken way too long to organize. And, and again, the thing that, that kind of hangs me up about it is, is I mean, you're, that's absolutely true. But I can kind of I can go with that. But I'm just kind of disappointed. I think if they made this movie again now, you'd get a lot more of actually seeing her change sides and go to the authorities because that's like the most important thing that happens in the movie and it doesn't even happen on screen. I know, but it does give you that, ooh, moment of yeah. surprise. And, and then, yeah. oh, it is a nice twist. Yeah, that, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is Odd Job really so dedicated to Goldfinger that he'd allow himself to be blown up by the bomb rather than prevent it from going off? Because he he stops the first guy from trying to defuse it. He does, yeah. So, I assume so. Um, yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, there's a that means there's a backstory there of why he's so loyal to Goldfinger, and I want to know it. It's in the book. Ah, okay. Well, there you go. See, I didn't know that. All right, so. I have not read this book. Here's my biggest question, honestly. Felix but, and his. By, by the way, they oh, could have yeah. put a couple of lines of dialogue in the movie that sort of explains. Yeah. Why he's so loyal? Yeah. Wouldn't have been unwelcome. It's true. Yeah. Felix and his partner sit there in front of that KFC for like two days. How much chicken do they eat while they're <laughs> sitting there? That's what I want. Because Felix is going in there and getting him some buckets and boxes <laughs> and all. I want to know how much KFC Felix and his partner eat. Um, and that KFC is in Miami, by the way. It's not even in Kentucky. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. In the movie, it's in Kentucky, but the actual mm-hmm. location was a KFC in Miami that they Miami. found when they were filming at the Thunderbolt. So, KFCs used to have very interesting looks. We've, we're, you know, young people today think of a KFC as looking like every fast food place with the red roof and everything, but they used to be odd-looking structures. Yeah, they did. They used to be very individual. I remember, but even when they were opening in the UK, each of them was very individualistic. Yeah, with the bucket on the pole and everything. Yeah, and yeah, all. yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember dreaming of someday being able for my family to get a bucket of KFC. We would get like a little box or something. I'm like, man, someday we'll get a bucket. I remember the first time that I actually got a bucket of KFC, and I was just like, oh, whoa. (laughs) It's like a cultural icon, and I'm actually going to eat it. It was amazing because we just never needed that much chicken, and you know, until (laughs) I forget how it happened. Anyway, uh, an answered question was that the movie doesn't make this clear, but you kind of have to figure it out over time is that when Bond is romancing Jill Masterson during the card game, mm-hmm. he tells her, I know where we can get the best dinner. And then it just instantly smash cuts to them in bed in what looks like the same room. But I think we talked about this before. They're actually in Bond's room now. You just don't see them change rooms. Is that your read on right. it? Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, because the clues are when Bond picks up the phone, they say, yes, Mr. Bond, rather than, yes, Mr. Goldfinger. And and um, there's another, oh, and that's how Felix calls him there. Yeah. 
asking him to dinner, and he says, let's do breakfast instead. So, yeah. Because yeah. that was so confusing to me. I'm like, why would he just stay in that room knowing Goldfinger's a, coming back? It's a room. Goldfinger's was a suite. Remember when he walks across it, it's a oh, huge yeah. suite, and, yeah. and Bonds is just a, a room with a little thing off to the side with the fridge and stuff. So, but yeah. you have to figure that out, though. They don't make it super clear. No, no they don't. Yeah. They don't spoon feed it like they do these days. Yeah, that's true. I do love, by the way, seeing Miami Beach in 64. Again, I just wrote a book about Miami Beach in 66, and this movie was partly in my mind, you know, because Uh there's a window of time. Well, I'm going to say this when we get to the locations in just a second, so we'll get to that in just a second. Um, One other unanswered question I have for you, this is kind of hypothetical. Is this the, not actually specific, is this the only time a bad Bond girl not only changes sides and when confronted with the nature of the evil plan, because Mayday changes sides, but then lives and ends the movie with Bond? I can't offhand think of a bad Bond girl that changes sides and then lives and ends up with him. Actually, thinking about it, I think Pussy Glora and Mayday are the only two that switch, aren't they? Yeah, I was thinking. Because I was yeah. thinking, um, Wei Lin is not a baddie. She's just on, the, on another side, you know, but That's she right. ends up yeah. with him, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could say Triple X, but they're working together right pretty much. Exactly. Right. Kind of yeah. like Wei Lin, yeah. 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 So, no, I, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay. And Mayday gets blowed up, but, um, but, yeah. um, Pussy Galore lives to to fight fly her plane another day. Oh, Tiffany Case. Yeah, she was kind of bad, wasn't she? But then she, yeah, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Pretty yeah. close together too. Two two of those. Okay. Um, what have you got for locations? Um, locations was a bit of a dud for me. Um, I know it's got Miami, which is cool. Um, mm-hmm. Stoke Poges Golf Club. South End Airport, really? Uh, <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken, man, come Kentucky on! Fried, Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, strip malls. Um, yeah. I mean, they're in Kentucky. We don't really see it. You know, Baltimore Airport. Um, yeah, I know. Listen, we're flying into Baltimore. I'm like, this has got to be the worst announcement in the history of the Bond series. You're flying into Baltimore. Wow. Well, when I lived, when we lived in uh, just outside Baltimore, I spent way too much time at BWI, as it now is. So, um, yeah. Um, I mean, Stoke Poges Golf Club is pretty cool location. Um, it's one that Jill and I need to have got on our places to visit when, when we're in the UK one trip. But um, I don't know, really... It just got a two out of ten for me. It was the, the location after Jamaica and Istanbul and yeah. Turkey and stuff. It was just like uh, that. May be just over familiarity with those places. I, when we did talk about this last last time, you know, back in sixty four, sixty five in the UK, not people weren't coming over to America on a regular basis. It wasn't a place a lot of people. See. So actually, seeing strip malls and the stuff that you you know was you only see that in the movies. So okay, you, you know, like can see that would have been a bit a bit more special but i think other than the scene in the alps it didn't really do anything for me locations and like i did say the one thing i did like was the fact that the locations did flow even if they were boring locations they flowed naturally from one to the other instead of you didn't get them you didn't get the plot jumping around just because they wanted to use a fancy location right right it made sense even if it was kind of yeah 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 so uh, they got an uh, for me, so a two out of ten for me for that. Wow, okay. I gave it a five 
because while Kentucky wasn't the greatest thing ever, and, and I doubt we'll ever go back to Kentucky in the Bond film, the, I, I gave it a five mainly for two reasons. The the European location with the cars, with the car, the, the I won't say the car, there wasn't really a car chase. There was like, a, I'm trying to pass you. No, I'm trying to pass you kind of a thing. But <laughs> all the stuff in the Alps, yeah, was beautiful. And that was something I was glad to see because I, I didn't know what the interior of Switzerland or whatever looked like in 1964. So that was good for me. And then Miami, because that's what I was going to say a minute ago is that Miami beach only looks like that really during that time, because right before the sixties, it, it, it hadn't really been built up at all. Those, those resorts, those hotels were not there yet really. And then by the seventies, everything down there gets really seedy to a certain degree. And it's not until the eighties, the Miami Vice era, that you get like a whole new influx of you know, you get all the art deco stuff, mm-hmm. the the pink and aqua colored and, you know, all that kind yeah. of and so it's it's like that one period in Miami history that everything looked like it does. Even like the big diving board, you wouldn't remotely have that today because of the right. liability and stuff, right? So yeah. So it was kind of cool to see a window into a time that really only existed for a very short time, probably just about 10 years at most. That was interesting. And I can remember the tail end of it, being a little kid in the early 70s and going to Florida. It would it was really getting seedy. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. the, the 70s were a seedy decade, to be honest. And and Florida was right there at the front of of, of just looking run run down and cheap. Everything that was shiny and new in the late fifties, early sixties was still there in the seventies, but it was all run down and you know getting kind of worn. It wasn't until the eighties yeah. that you get that renewal. Okay, um, the villains. This should be interesting. Um, Goldfinger is just an iconic. I mean, he is the he and Blofeld really are the two iconic. Yeah, Bond villains, I think. Um, so I think he's he's wonderful. Um, he's always one step ahead of everybody. He's such a planner. Um, he's in love with his own villainy. Um, you know, he's a cheat. <laughs> uh, he's, he, he makes. Uh, you know, he he enjoys being clever. Um, like I said, the so did I remark. I think it's for me it just encapsulating way more than the um, than the laser table. Um, right. That everybody quotes, um, right. and I think uh, kudos to Gert Frobe and Michael Collins who did his voice. Um, I think their joint performance was was just magnificent. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Goldfinger gets a nine out of ten for me, and the only drops one really because they did dub him. And if you actually do like some of the trailers, actually has Gert Frobe's voice rather than Michael Collins, and it's good. I don't I don't necessarily understand totally why they dubbed him. I think he was his English was a, a lot better than they thought it was. Um, and if you see him in other movies, um, I think he's okay too. So just lo- loses the one point for me because it wasn't totally a good throw um, performance. But um, but I think the dubbing that it did was really good. So nine out of ten for me. Yeah, I I would never have guessed. But they dubbed everybody back then is what's so weird. We've talked about that. Yeah, they did. They <laughs> it was All the women? Common practice. Yeah, yeah. All, all the women in these movies are dubbed by that same lady. I forget yeah. what her name is, but she, Nikki she was, yeah, Nikki Vanderself. Yeah, she's everybody. So um, it's strange. They just felt the need to do that. I guess they wanted to go back and re-record the audio with you know louder, not like out on a set or whatever. But still, I mean, it's weird that he's a different different person. But no, I agree. I mean, his performance is great. He's he brings a lot of swagger to it. Um, he's got a lot of charisma. And, and yeah, the voice that they use really fits very well and it fits his body and his shape so that it's not unobtrusive. You know, I mean, it's not yeah. obtrusive. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I gave Goldfinger a nine as well. And I didn't give him a 10 just because there's a couple of others I like a little bit better, and I'm saving the 10s for them. But he's right there. I mean, iconic, yeah. What about the henchmen, the supporting villains? Well, talk about iconic. Yep. (laughs) I mean, he is the iconic henchman. Um, Mm. You know, Mr. Random Task um, is just... Does he have a um, brother? Does he have a brother named Even Job? <laughs> <laughs> My brother will get revenge on you. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I mean, there's nobody else to compare him to, as far as I'm concerned. Um, no. You know, um, for me, he is ten out of ten the iconic henchman. Um, and you know, I think he's brilliantly played. Um, the menace. I love the fact that also, you know, the the music played. He got his own little timpani uh, theme. Theme in there that yeah, the you know, ding, when he was ding ding yeah. ding when he was on screen. So you know, there's there's a menace. Um, the, the fact that you know the first time you see him is really just in shadow, is that in the Jill Masterson thing? You don't, know, and then when you meet him, he just gets gradually more and more. Um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Menacing, ominous, um, menacing. And by the time you get to the fight in the you know in, in the gold repository, it's like, well, how how's Bond going to defeat this guy? Um, and the smile. And actually, also the yeah, and the smile, and also the fact that you know he actually he actually did get electrocuted uh, <laughs> doing that scene. He actually hung on to the hat longer than he should have done, and actually burnt himself and got electrocuted. So um, talk about uh, you know dedication, uh, dedication to your craft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, yeah, the the Bond henchman. I think everybody else is is based on or compared to him. I hundred percent agree, and I noted not only does he do a great job, he. And, and I agree, too, that they introduce him a little at a time because halfway through the movie, I had him at a nine thinking, well, we don't really get enough of him to give him a 10. But that by the end, by the time he has the Fort Knox scene, I felt like we he, he, he pretty much checked all the boxes and filled everything in. And honestly, I think he gets the best death scene of anybody in the entire series because they the way they choreograph it out and lay it out it's neat. When you see it the first time, it's like, whoa, that was shocking. And and it's funny, too, because they even set that up in the pre-title sequence with the guy in the bathtub. Yeah. There's two guys that are getting oh, electrocuted. I hadn't, even, I hadn't even thought about that. You're right. They bookend the thing with two, yeah. two electrocutions. Yeah. Two guys that he electrocutes. But um, so you, I guess just in case people didn't understand what was happening to him with the bars and the and the cable. But, um, um, but it, it, the way that they set that up, they let you know what's going to happen, and then they have him throw Bond around the room until he lands in the right spot. Yeah. And then he gets the hat, and I love how when Bond picks up the hat, that's the first time that Odd Job looks the least bit concerned, right? Up until that yeah. moment, he's all swaggering. But when Bond picks up the hat like a Frisbee, Odd Job immediately like drops into a crouch, and he's like, oh. Ready, and he's yeah. like he drops on the couch, and he's crouching, he's moving, he's moving, he's moving, and then when Bond throws it and misses, he kind of like, <laughs> but there's that smile, right? Yeah, but now I've got you, yeah, 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 yeah. and you're th- and they they suck up the audience. It's like, oh, he blew his one chance, and then I also was noting that because I couldn't remember at first, I was thinking that Bond has to uh, end up being thrown to where the bars are, but he doesn't. He ends up getting thrown again away from them, and when Odd Job goes to get the hat, Bond simultaneously jumps toward the cable, and the timing is perfect. 
Right. Yeah. And the whole thing is the floor. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah. It's perfect. It's just yeah. absolutely to me the best beating the villain and death scene in the entire series. So 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, hundred percent. Yeah. What did you think about the other henchmen though? The Japanese guys with the yellow belts that are all through the movie. Are they, where do they rank on your army of uh, henchmen? I think dudes? Were, I'm not sure if they're Japanese, Chinese or Korean or whatever, but I, yeah, uh, I wasn't sure actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I didn't really think of them as henchmen or just they, they were just sort of the hired, hired goons, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, they didn't yeah. really do – I'm surprised they didn't do any martial arts. Was this too soon for that? Yeah, probably. Because if they'd made this movie 10 years later, they'd have all been like karate experts, you know? They'd have all been ninjas and things, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, um, All right, the Bond girls, and I guess we've got three kind of. Is that right? Right, the Mastersons and Pussy. I actually got five. Oh, okay. Who am I? Who am I forgetting? Okay, so I went from Benita at the beginning in the pre-title sequence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then the so lady yeah, on the airplane. Last... No, no, no. In the pre-title, on the, the, I know, I know. I'm in, I'm in, in the, the fifth dance. one. Sorry, I'm in, in the, the fifth one. Oh, well, we got Benita in the in the, the pre-title sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, who we last saw as on Kareem's couch in From Russia with Love. Was that the so same? Actress. Yes. Oh wow, she's awesome. Okay, um, and we got Dink. Margaret oh, Nolan, I forgot about Dink. That's the fifth one. Okay, who is actually also the Golden Girl in the pre-title sequence? Oh, in the yeah. uh, title sequence, yeah, that gets the movie projection. Like, that's Mar- that's the same same girl. That's Margaret Nolan. Um, and then we got the Masterson sisters. We got Jill and Tilly, and then on a Black Moon. So yeah. yeah, and there's also the lady on the airplane, the Asian lady on the airplane, Miley on the on the airplane. Yes, yeah, yeah. Who I'm not entirely convinced was actually Asian, but whatever. That's what they did back then. Yep. Um, so I, I, I actually think that this is probably the best ensemble of female characters in a Bond movie. Jill Masterson is only in a very short time Shirley, with Shirley Eaton, but very memorable, not just for the Golden Girl thing, but just the, the whole inter- chemistry between her and Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Um, they were good. She was good, great. yeah. They, they were really good together. Um, and then we got, was it Tanya Mallet played... Uh, Tilly Masterson, I think her one and only acting job because she was a model, um, yeah. and, uh, and wasn't very likable. Honestly, I have her. I have her as like a no. I didn't like her. She wasn't. The interesting thing in that one is it's Bond that gets her killed, and it's Bond that triggers the because when she's about to take the shot at night and take the shot, yeah, at the factory, it's Bond that actually pulls pulls the rifle, which make, triggers the oh yeah the alarm. It's not Absolutely. her, no, and then not he her. ends up getting her killed. Which in the book she's not. She's actually captured with Bond and actually goes with him to um, Kentucky. Um, and it's mm. a secretary ends up as Goldfinger's secretary, and she's the one who ends up courting Pussy Galore. Um, so uh, I'm gonna have to read the book. I got it right over there. I just haven't ever read it. So now I'm gonna have to so, read it. So uh, she has a much bigger role in the book than she did here. Um, okay. So and then of course the wonderful Honor Blackman. I mean, I already loved Honor Blackman from the Avengers anyway, and. She went on to be such a staple of British TV over the years and movies and stuff, um, you know, right the way until just before she passed. So uh, I think she's always been brilliant. So for me, it was, I think, as I said, I think this is the best ensemble female collection in the Bond movie. So they, it gets 10 out of 10 for me for the Bond girls here. Honor Blackman, one of only two Bond girls older than Bond. Yep. Do you remember who the other one yep. was? 
Monica Bellucci. Yep, because we just said she was born in 64. <laughs> and I can tell you right now, Daniel Craig was born two weeks well, after. Well, Terry was born in 64 the same time. Oh, and she's just, yeah, yeah but, but Pierce Brosnan was born. Then was older, yeah. Before true, 64. Yeah. Um, but, but Daniel Craig was born two weeks after me. Yeah, huh? So that was well after 64. So Monica Bellucci <laughs> was a bit older than Daniel Craig, yeah. Although yeah. Craig's got a lot of mileage on him. I think I look a lot younger than him. I like to think I look younger than Daniel he Craig. He does have a lot of mileage on him. That's true, yeah. yeah. So, the, yeah, the Bond girls were 10 out of 10 for me. What about you? I have them as a 7 just because while I really like Jill Masterson, um, I, the, 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 the girl at the beginning, the dancer in the pre-title was cool, but I just kind of, she's kind of forgettable. Honestly, I, I think more about the other parts of that sequence. Um, I don't like Tilly at all. She just is annoying to me. I, I, I guess from the moment we meet her honking her horn, I'm like, she's already annoying cause she's honking a horn at me. I just want to go away. <laughs> and then honestly, Honor Blackman, I, I respect her, but She's not anywhere near my favorite Bond girl, and I just don't like how they use her. I wish, like I said, I wish there was more. I, I agree with you that it takes away the surprise if you show all that. But on the other hand, I feel like it's so important to the plot and to her character and to Bond that we. I just needed more about why she does what she does. We're just left to assume that she had scruples about gassing thousands of people to death. Yeah, I wish they played on that bit rather than it be, you know, Bond has his way with her and you know, yeah. she turns to the side of good and righteousness instead. It would have been much better if, you know, they'd have had a conversation where he, he basically says that it's, you know, they're, yeah. they're setting out to kill a, a town yeah. full of people and she's like, well, that's not what I signed up for, blah, blah, blah. Even if you don't see the other stuff, it would have been nice to, to have had that be her reason rather than the implication in the movie. Um but uh, I, I like her as a character. I love the way that she's, you know, tells him, you know, the charm won't work on me. And, and again, which is a shame that they make that implication at the end that it does because it sort of devalues her strength as a character early on. So, um, And there are those yeah. that say that basically Bond rapes her. Well, he does. I, yeah. yeah. Which, he, I mean, we are supposed to understand in 1964 when a charismatic guy like Bond puts the moves on you, you just you notice how she's like, no, 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 and then she embraces him right before they cut. So we are to understand that she changed her mind based yeah. on the amazing powers of his kiss. But again, 1964. Yeah. Yeah, 1964 ain't 2022. So. No. Um, yeah, so I gave them a seven. Um, Bond allies, I got a question for you here. Does she count as an ally? Ooh, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, maybe she does. I didn't, I mean, I, I just scored this on Felix. Felix and just Felix. So. I feel like we have to think she becomes an ally by the end. And even in the end, she and Bond are trying to keep the plane from crashing. So they're working together. Yeah. Right. Mm. Had, Do we. And, and does Goldfinger know that she betrayed him? Because there she is flying the plane for well, him. No, he doesn't, as far as he's... Yeah. Because she comes in and she didn't betray him in the end because she comes in and... See, that's the other thing with Pussy Galore. She does the, the, the switch, but then she comes in at the end and rescues Goldfinger with the helicopter. And yeah. flies that's... him away and then pilots the jet to get for him to... Yeah, I'm lucky jet. So she's still very much in a gray area. Yeah, morally, I think even at the end of the movie. Yeah, and and the last time we see them is there on their where they 
where they land on an island or something, or where yeah, did they land? Yeah, 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 yeah. And what happens to her? Does she go off to prison, or does is Bond like say no, no? He vouches for her, or but, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't because know. She, like I said, she does actually help Goldfinger escape from Fort Knox. So. Yeah, it's really strange. So I, I don't know if we count her as not. But anyway, I, what, what did you give her? What did you give the 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 allies as you saw them? The allies, as I saw, I thought it would. The only ally basically was was C. Slinda, and he's what I call Daddy Felix. Yeah, um, with the hat, the hat man, the hat, the hat. You know, I actually put a thing here. Does he do much more than eat KFC and watch Bond <laughs> from afar? And I don't think he does. I mean, he basically is uh, is is the daddy or the mentor, looking after his protege and keeping an eye on him, watching him from afar. But he doesn't actually do anything. He's more of an exposition dump, a Kate, occasional yeah. exposition dump. So I'm afraid uh, C. Slinda got. Two out of ten from from me. I was kind of including uh, Pussy Galore, and I said five. I do okay. like having Felix in this movie. I thought it was interesting that he had another helper kind of in and out. Like we said, it's kind of strange. And um, I, yeah, I hope he enjoyed his drumsticks. Is all I can really say. Because good old Felix. <laughs> um, how about vehicles? This is certainly a vehicle movie to some degree. At least for one reason, I would say actually in this one the vehicles almost overwhelm the vi- the vehicle singular mm. almost overwhelms the movie. Um, yes, it's been overused since. It's not necessarily my favorite um, Bond vehicle, um, but this is the movie that introduces the iconic DB5, um, and it sets the template pretty much for every spy movie mm-hmm. from this point onwards. Not just Bond, but that. Every car that a spy drives has to have at least some gadgets or other. Um, Again, this is another iconic thing. You can see why a lot of people say this is the movie that set the template um, because there are so many things in it that do just become iconic. Um, And we've also got Goldfinger's lovely Rolls Royce. um, Oh, yeah. Beautiful car. We have the on-screen debut of the Ford Mustang. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was what uh, Tilly was driving, wasn't it? Tilly was driving, yeah. So, um, and I actually do. I was making the joke about Southend Airport earlier on, but I actually do love seeing those car ferry planes. That's a real blast from the past. Is <laughs> that you know you could go over to Europe on a take your car on the plane with you mm. um, and fly over to Europe. Um, so that was very much a 1960s thing. Um, so yeah, for me, it's it's another ten out of ten because you know there's a great selection of vehicles anyway. But uh, you know the DB5 really just has to the introduction of the DB5 that that sequence with Q and then seeing it in action. Um, I think the two or three times it's used, but again, another, I don't understand it. Bond has a car with a bulletproof shield at the back, which he puts up and then opens the door and gets out and hides behind the door. The door. Yeah. I was, <laughs> I, well, he, he wanted to be able to shoot and I think he couldn't have shot back right. from inside. Yeah, I know, the car. But, but I, so I hope the doors were bulletproof too, but yeah, well, yeah. Really heavy. they'd have I'm, to be really heavy. You wouldn't be able to open them. Um, so I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, 10 out of 10 for the vehicles for this one. I like that back then you make a, a car bulletproof by having a metal plate come up in front of the glass. Anytime after that, they just say it's a special glass that's bulletproof, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but they were still having to put something between the glass and the, and the bullets. So that was neat. I gave it an eight entirely for the Aston Martin, but I deducted a couple of points because of how it ends up. It has a, a wreck because of a mirror, and that just really disappointed me. That I goes wanted down to, to do Bond more. being an idiot, because Bond crashes yes. it for no real reason. So, yeah. yeah, that was bad. So, But it yeah. was cool to see the smoke screen and the oil. He never got to use the, the flipping license plates, 
Um, no. He didn't really get to use the guns, did he? I mean, there were a lot of things on there that were shown. At least he got to use the ejector seat, and that was really great. Yeah, and I think that's what he was all leading up to, was him using the ejector seat. Yeah. I think he used the guns on the mirror. Didn't yeah, he? and it didn't it do it. Yeah, he yeah. used the guns on the mirror, yeah. But the mirror was up high, so it, the yeah, bullets must it, have gone it, under it, right? Yeah, it, yeah oh, but he man. didn't know it was a mirror. He thought it was a car coming the other way. So. Well, I'm just thinking if the mirror had been where he thought it was, it seemed like the bullets would have shattered the mirror. Yeah, right, yeah. And then there was a wall there, so he needed to stop anyway because he would have hit the wall if he hadn't hit the mirror or whatever. I mean, yeah, that whole sequence makes no sense. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, at least he didn't come out the other side of it on two, two different wheels. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, oh, one of the earlier one of the earlier takes of that, the Aston Martin went all the way through the wall um, on one of the first I, takes of it. Instead of being embedded part way through, it actually went. Yeah, I hope they had the, uh, plenty of Aston Martin. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, I, I will do my obligatory IFF thing because since last time we talked and did Goldfinger, we actually now have Goldfinger's jet, and I don't mean the model that you saw in Peterson's, but we right. have, uh, the Peterson, but we actually have the first twenty-five feet of the actual fuselage. Uh, Whoa! Which which was found in a in a scrapyard in North Carolina, I believe, um, earlier this early uh, last year. So that is now in the workshop and starting to undergo restoration. So. A, that's awesome. B, these things sure do end up in weird places, and a lot of them seem too much the American South. How does the South keep ending up with all these bombs? <laughs> I don't, I don't understand that. You know. Well, the thing is, with some of it being in the South and we've been warmer and stuff, it actually lasts longer. Yeah, so. I think Billy Bob has been buying it all up and storing yeah, it down it there. Has, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's our cousin Billy Bob. Yeah. Um, all right, gadgets. Now, this is. I think we have to. We can't count. You're not counting the Aston Martin as a gadget, are you? I know. I have to take the Aston Martin out of this. Although this, although the Aston Martin was the gadget in this movie. Let's be honest. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. But I already ranked the Aston Martin. That's right. So if you take the Aston Martin out, what is left? And I think the only thing that's really left is the homing device. Yes. In his shoe, um, which you know he then gives to a guy who ends up being crushed. (laughs) So (laughs) it's useless. Um, Doesn't he? Doesn't end up being used. It doesn't. It doesn't help solve the plot. It doesn't get him out of the situation. It's sort of a dead end. So it got a one out of ten for me for gadgets this yeah. movie. No, everything that he does doesn't work except seducing Pussy Galore. That's the. That's right. one of the problems I have with the movie is that everything he tries to do to save the day fails. And if she hadn't been persuaded by his kissing slash telling her what's going on, it, 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 that would have been the end. So yeah. I gave it a two for one reason, and that's because I had it at a one, but I thought they use it a lot, and they use that screen with the beep, beep on it a lot, you know? And I feel like that was kind of influential in the sense of trackers and having a screen with a dot moving around on it. That's shown uh-huh. up in a million movies since then, so I give it one extra point just for becoming kind of a a thing in movies, you know? And it, and it was used yeah, a lot. Yeah, that sort of homing device did become a standard plot device, didn't it? Yeah. Going forward, so... Yeah. Just that deep beep beep. Just imagine if your GPS did that now. Oh, How God. annoying that would be. After. <laughs> well, uh, this computer doesn't go every time I type anything <laughs> on it either. So movies always, you know, always yeah. come up with stuff. All right, here we go. We got a couple of good ones. We got several good categories here. The pre-credit sequence. Um, 
I love this pre-credit sequence. It really is the first real mini movie stands on its side. I mean, you could just, and I, I have done it before, just set, it's like, I just fancy watching some Bond, but I haven't got two hours to kill on a movie. I'll just watch this. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a great little Bond adventure that's, I don't know, a couple of minutes long. Yeah. Um, doesn't, you could say it maybe loses something because it doesn't relate to the main plot at all. Um, and I sort of do and don't like that. Um, I just love the fact that it's, it's, it's a standalone. Um, it's got some really cool Bond moments. Uh, I love Bond flicking his lighter, the exact moment that the thing in the background blows up, you know, to the exact second and he doesn't flinch. Um, for me, there's two things stop stop it being perfect. One is the stupid seagull. Um, <laughs> isn't, isn't that just going to draw somebody's eye and somebody's attention that there's this white thing going across the, the surface of the water when he, he was actually under the water? So, you know, why draw attention to, the, to yourself? Um and this is a really minor nitpick, and I really noticed it this time, but there's actually a continuity error. Of whoever did the close-up of the hands of him laying out the plastic explosive has really greasy, stained hands. I assume it's like they've got black camouflage stuff on the back of their hands. or hand- And then when it cuts to Connery, he's got immaculately clean hands um, when he's under- unzipping the, the wetsuit. And I'm right. like, and it's a minor continuity error, but it bugged the hell out of me this time when I was watching it. Um, so it got a nine out of ten for me because of the seagull and the continuity error. Otherwise, it would have been a, a ten out of ten. I gave it a nine as well, and um, I think mainly just because it doesn't relate to anything else. But like you say, there's good and bad things about that. So um, yeah, I and and in fact, I'm going to mention a couple of things again about it later. But uh, yeah, it's just so good, and it, you're right. It is like a little miniature movie that you can watch totally separate from the rest of the film, and it has several iconic things in it plus as we were talking about earlier it also kind of sets up the idea of electrocuting the bad guy which we see right. later with odd jobs that's pretty cool too so i'll give it a nine yeah. i'm kicking myself all these years and i've never actually made that connection between <laughs> the beginning and end of the movie that's so. what i'm here for i'm here to show that even um, as as much of an expert as you are there's still things to learn right about these movies yeah, there, there is, i actually had this conversation with somebody the other day about bond stuff it's like every time you get into it there's every time you go around there's stuff to learn every day i Always. think so yeah, yeah. I'm not here just to hold the drinks. I actually do come up with something. Every <laughs> All right, the credit sequence with the Golden Girl. Do you have any credits again? Interestingly, this this was not a Morris Binder. It's a Robert Brown oh. building oh, yeah. on what he did last time. Instead of just projecting the credits, projecting scenes from the movie on the a woman's body, Golden Girl. But again, it's iconic. It's instantly recognizable as Bond, and clearly laid the foundation for whatever Morris Binder did from that point on. Um, so yeah, great idea. Um, interestingly enough though, them projecting bits of the movie onto, it's like, well, spoilers. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was interesting that he did that. Uh, and then strangely enough, right in the middle, there's the From Russia With Love helicopter chase in amongst all the Goldfinger stuff, um, which seemed yeah. a bit incongruous. I don't, I don't I wondered if that was a bit of test footage that when they were saying, Hey, look, we could do this. We could project onto the bits of the movie onto somebody's body, a golden girl's body. And they use that as a bit of test footage and they just ended up keeping it. It looked good. Yeah. They thought, well, let's just keep that. Yeah. Keep it in there. Um, So I think I was like a six out of 10 on this. Um, It's, it's really good, but it's, again, it's relatively simple, Um, but it's, it's, it's another step towards the bond opening credits that we, that we all sort of know and love. So uh, yeah. I gave it an eight 
just because it is so iconic and famous and it makes me think Bond almost more than anything else. But with that, and it doesn't hurt, which we're going to get to on the next category, it doesn't hurt to have that music. It's got that song, right? So that's that true. Helps. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. So yeah. what did you give the theme song? Um, I gave the theme song an eight because, as you said, it is the song. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the Bond theme song. Yeah. But there is a couple of others that I I prefer a little better. So it got an eight for me. Um, but I really don't have anything to. I mean, it, it's so well known, so so iconic. The stories behind it are so well known. Yeah. Um, it's a brilliant. It's a brilliant. Um, John Barry score. Shirley Bassey does an absolutely wonderful job belting it out. I think it's the best of the three she did. So yeah, it, it's an eight for me. Two important Shirleys involved in this movie. The golden girl was Shirley and the singer was Shirley. How about Shirley, that? Yeah. Not a lot of Shirleys yeah. nowadays. It's not a name you hear so much anymore, but two big Shirleys there. Um, I, I gave the song a nine. Again, it's not my favorite Bond song, but I just feel like it's so important and so iconic that there are, like you said, there's a couple I like better that are going to get tens as we continue the series, but um, this one certainly, I think, for me, gets a nine. So, Yeah. How about which the leads, oh, oh yeah go ahead I was going to say which leads us onto the music but yeah yep yeah. uh, well you've, you've been covering all of that stuff more than I have so let's hear it um, wonderful John Barry score um, really kicks it off I I mean right from the beginning with the uh, Into Miami um, theme which for me is just one of the best Bond music cues um, the overall album the overall score I know a lot of people um, this is this is the movie score that got Raymond Benson into James Bond so. Um, uh, <laughs> When he was a kid, that's what his exposure to Bond was the was the music, and he had to go see the movie that the music came from. Um, so yeah, it, it's almost up there it, again. I gave it a nine because it's not my favorite Barry overall favorite Barry score, but yep. I can't really fault it. Um, yeah. it, it. It's it's a it's a score I listen to repeatedly, um, and I I think I love every cue on it pretty much. So yeah, nine same. It's the for the same reason. There's there's a couple of others that I would give a 10, but it's certainly right up there. And I I went back and forth, 9 or 10, so it's like a 9.5, so I totally yep. agree. Uh, let's see. We have a few other things to name here. What's aged the best? What's aged the worst? Um, what did you think has aged the best from this uh, movie? Amazingly enough, watching, I was thinking that as we were watching it, and I think it's the golf match. Ah. Um, I mean, I have zero interest in golf. Um but it's still, and it doesn't matter how many times I've seen it, it's still a very tense sequence. And it really establishes not just the physical combat between Bond and Goldfinger, but the mental game between the two of them. With Bond pretending it's the first time they met, Goldfinger knowing who he is, knowing what's going on. Um, again, Goldfinger reveling in the fact that he cheats, but he gets found out by Bond and they switch the tables on him. Um, I think the whole movie is really encapsulated. By the golf game, yeah. Uh, um, so for me, I think that you know, doesn't matter how many times I see it, I still really just get totally engaged in every nuance of that game. So, yeah, that's good. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's really interesting. I um, I thought what says the best for me is just the iconic image of Bond and the Aston Martin up in the mountains in the Alps because. That's that gives us that great shot of him leaning on the car, which has become the right. logo of our network of our channel. Right, yes. <laughs> um, 
And uh, and I there's the the raising canes chicken finger place that we go to and eat quite often has that picture up on the wall there and I like to sit in the really? booth right next to that big <laughs> picture of, of Connery like you know just leaning back against the car you know I love it I love it so yeah that's uh so that's to me is what's aged the best although there are several things we got a couple of things that are in the running for what's aged the worst what is there some there's a there's a battle going on here what do you think um, well other than the and we're going to sound like a record on this on a, on a lot of things. Bond's treatment of women and yeah. dink, dink with a mantle slap. Yes, yes, and pussy, bingo. Pussy, pussy, pussy galore, enforcing himself on pussy galore and stuff um, in particular. Um, but I actually also, you, you touched on it a bit with the DB5 in the factory. The, the final part of the DB5 chase in the, in the factory does not hold up well. No. Not just because of what happens because Bond's an idiot and sort of crashes into all because he sees himself in a mirror. Um, but the fact that they they clearly sped up the footage um, to make it look fast and frantic um, when he was basically just driving around Pinewood, the, the, the sort of alleyways of Pinewood Studios, um, that chase, car chase, does not hold up at all no. um, these days. So, um, I, yeah, I was, I was quite disappointed in that watching it again. Yeah, and we've, we've known that all along. We've talked about that before for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's the battle for me is between Dink at the beginning and Pussy at the end, and w- I'm I'm going with say hello to Dink, man talk, slapper on the butt. I'm going with that. Um, it always reminds me though. I do love the scene where he he tricks the hotel maid into letting him open the door, and it's just so funny yeah. how completely clueless she is. It's great. Um, it's but what what pushed what made it Dink for me was that. With Pussy, you do have the scene where he's basically raping her, except that at the last second she seems to give in and and kind of give a kind of a weird consent, kind of sort of, if you want to look at it that oh, way. You know, I I know I'm I'm uh, so you you can't redeem either one of them, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the one where where Dink actually goes along with it, and it just like oh she wouldn't. I guess back then she would, but man. We have the Double Taking Pigeon Most Cringeworthy Moment Award to hand out. So do you have a moment in this movie that the Double Taking Pigeon from Moonraker gets to give out his award for Most Cringeworthy Moment? I hadn't thought about it as cringe. I, I put, I'd forgotten it was going to be cringeworthy. Because um, <laughs> I actually put down a fun moment that actually made me do a double take, which we haven't talked about. Oh, okay. About. Well, that's fine. Do it that way. Um, I think the Double Take uh, Pigeon Award for me is actually Machine Gun Granny. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And the fact that she was the most—it was the most surprise. It doesn't matter. Most surprising moment in the movie because when you first see it, you've got no idea that that's going to happen. No. Um, and then every subsequent point that you watch the movie, you're sort of waiting for it to happen because it's so fun, so much fun, and, and a complete surprise. Like I say, the first time you see it. So um, the, the machine gun toting granny gets my double take pigeon award. It's so weird too because. Like when you first see her, she's like in the kitchen baking a pie or something, and right, she has yeah. to go out to open that gate. Yeah, and I'm like, why has he got Granny with her baking kitchen open? That's the gate guarding. Yeah. yeah, what the heck? And then she's got the machine gun, and I'm like, oh, I guess that's why. Yeah, <laughs> and and isn't there a lady like that in um, Diamonds Are Forever? I feel like there's somebody kind of similar to that in Diamonds Are Forever, but I may be blanking out. Oh, are you thinking of the courier lady? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, there was like, it seemed like there was another old lady that was like dangerous or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's the diamond courier. Yeah. yeah. Okay. uh, 
But yeah, so the machine gun granny got my uh, double take pitching award. Mine goes to to Bond in the blue onesie in Miami. <laughs> just a, okay. Just the, the the pigeon did a triple take at that and still was rolling his eyes because that's so bad. Oh gosh. Um, I don't think you know. Here's the thing: even Sean Connery in his prime couldn't make that look good. That just shows you how bad that was. <laughs> Even Sean Connery couldn't overcome that. Um, what was your best Bond moment in this movie? The holding cell disappearing trick. Yeah. <laughs> he drops down like the elevator. Yeah, he's waving at the guy, and then he drops down, and the guy rushes in the cell, and he's, he's empty, it's empty, and he's up in there. How did he go from him? under the door to over the door? Yeah, so he must quickly. have crawled along the floor onto the cot, onto yeah. the cot and then up into the. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, I love the fact that then after that, he's in the cot and there's like twenty guys in the cell wall with their guns pointing down. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're not letting him out of yes. their sight this time. So, yeah, the door was just standing open, and there were all these guys just sitting there holding guns on him while he's just sitting yeah. there like. Chilling. And yeah. I love the fact that they actually used him waving through the bars as one of the clips in the 60th anniversary um, thing at the uh, at the Oscars. At the that Oscars. was actually one of the yeah, it was one of the clips they used. So yeah, that was neat. By the way, I was glad that they recognized the the 60th. Um, I liked it in that scene that they set it up by having him walk as he's pacing back and forth, and he kept kind of waving at the guard every time because right. the guard was like getting used to seeing him every time, and then when he didn't right. see him, it made it even more. Yeah, you know, something's oh, yeah. going. Yeah. yeah, he set it up yeah. really well. Yeah, um, my best Bond moment was in the pre-title sequence when Bond walks in in the white dinner jacket with the flower, mm-hmm. and as you mentioned, he lights the thing and the explosions go up, and he's the only person not freaking out. He's yeah, just, he doesn't even flinch. Yeah, now he just walks in like it's all good, and that's such a great moment. And that white jacket kind of goes on to be iconic as well. It you is, see Daniel yeah. Craig in it later. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was quite a cool Bond moment. Um, all right, I that think was, I, I think that yeah. white him in the white jacket with the red carnation in, was I think the first image I ever saw of Connery as Bond because mm. I told the story before I got into Bond with a a, um, a board game and then my parents got me the James Bond annual that year and I think it wasn't on the cover but I think it must have been like one of the first images in that annual was Connery in that white tuxedo with the red carnation and stuff and i was just like whoa who is this guy this is so cool yeah yeah. absolutely yeah we are down to our last category which is a numerical rating from one Uh to ten of this movie and i'm curious to see what you say so what's your subject oh okay well i'll go first so my subjective score was seven like i said it's a top 10 movie for me interesting um so I ranked it a little lower than From Russia With Love and a little higher than Dr. No of the three we've done so far, subjectively. And actually, if you my mathematical overall was 6.75, so I was pretty close. Oh, wow. There you go. Yeah. I See, again, I think that the numbers are going to add up higher than the number I give it. And okay. I gave it, you said, what number did you say? Seven? Seven, yeah. Yeah, I gave it a seven. I deduct for the fact that Bond is too helpless through most of the movie. Most of the things he does either don't work or backfires, and he has to repeatedly rely on other people to, to, to bail him out because he keeps making dumb mistakes. And I noted he didn't even defuse the bomb at the end. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of those things where in its, on its own, this would bother me more. It doesn't bother me as much 
as one of 25 bonds because it's the one where those things happen and then I can just go on to the next one, you know. And so I, I don't mind, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't mind odd things and incongruous things in Bond movies when I look at the entire catalog because I like a little variation. But when I'm, right. when I'm, but when I'm rating a movie on its own like this, then it's going to bother me because it hurts that specific movie. So that's why it gets a seven. Fair enough. Well, actually, your mathematical was not too far out. You were a seven point five with your. Oh, okay. Average. So I so I rated the, so my numbers all added up were averaged out to seven point five. Seven point five. Okay. Give it a seven. So. And I flirt. I flirted with an eight, but the more I thought about it, the more I had to deduct for what I was just talking about. So I actually yeah. did. That makes sense. I was kind of so. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. I never would have guessed it would come out anywhere close. All right. So. So, so that's going to so, mean that we're. We like this one more than we thought we did, or what? Because I don't even have it probably in my top um, ten. I'm not sure. I have to go back and check. It's been a long time I since I looked it, at my I, rating. Yeah, we both we both did it the same. About we both said seven, and we, we both you add up the categories. We're both you know mm-hmm. around the seven mark anyway. So I, I think we're pretty spot on. Yeah, so, interesting. All right. All right. Well, we're going to cover Thunderball next time. But do you have yeah. any final thoughts about Goldfinger? Uh, like I said um, at the beginning, I still think it's one of the most entertaining James Bond movies. Um, I think it's more if you start actually thinking about what's going on, you start to see the faults. Um, but if it's, if you just want to sit back with a you know glass of wine and a slice of pizza and enjoy a Bond movie, um, Bond fun, this is this is a pretty good one, and it does really set the temp. It finalizes the setting of the template. I don't think this is the one movie that set the template, but I think it builds on the other two. And then adds in the two or three things that were missing that really finalizes the template for the franchise going forward. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, because it, it, people always say, oh, this is the one that sets the entire template. And I think you're right. I think it just fills in the last few pieces that weren't already in yeah. place. It had to build up to this. Well, not everybody knows them in order the way that we do and has followed them as, it develop, you know, as they develop that way like we do. So they just look at this one and think, oh, this is like the earliest one that has almost everything. So it must yeah, be Yeah, it's the earliest one that has all the recognizable pieces in yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I, for me, this is one that I think the, the total movie is greater than the sum of the parts. I think that there's parts in it that let us down. There are parts that are odd. And that's why I thought it was going to come out lower than it did. But when you look at the whole movie overall, and again, there, there's things we didn't rate that I would rate lower. But again, you know, if we look at the entire movie, you know, it is very beloved, important Bond film, you know. So and in, in terms of the general in, in terms of the general public, it's gotta be like top three, right? Yeah, I think it's one of the most instantly recognizable ones. Yes, definitely. I think the average person that just kind of halfway knows James Bond, this is like probably the one they think of. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably so, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up for this time then, and uh, Alan and I will return in a month or so with Thunderball, and I'm curious to see how that one goes because I feel like I like that one better than you, but I can't remember. So it's going to be interesting to see how we break it down. Yeah, it's been a while. I think the last time I watched it was actually when – couple of years ago when we, when we did, when it we for did our it. show so yeah. uh, it'll be interesting to revisit it yeah there we go yeah all right so strap on your jet pack and get ready to go underwater because we're going to be doing all yeah, that get your get your flippers and your uh, rebreathers and uh, we will back and dive into thunderbolt we will do it all right thanks a bunch alan we'll see you next time all right, all right. cheers bye on her messy secret podcast we'll return
This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.